Grab your Bibles, open up to Joshua. We are in uh, Joshua chapter 3 this morning. Last week, uh, the pastoral staff uh, got a chance to go to our, our uh, annual pastor's retreat, which is a super fun thing. It's up at uh, the Silver Spur uh, Christian Camp. So it was, let's see, me and Fred and Chris and Alan and uh, and Bobby, and and it was great. And uh, this year, kind of the theme uh, that this this main speaker was talking about was was like finishing strong, doing well in, in ministry. And uh, they had a couple of books on the book table. One of them was this book called Next, which is about uh, pastoral transitions. The other book was this book called uh, Leading Through Transitions, was which was the dissertation that I wrote and then published uh, through Amazon. So my book was one of the featured books. At the, I know, that was... That was intimidating. <laughs> but through, through that, I had a lot of opportunities to have these cool conversations with lots of different pastors who were going through different kinds of, of transitions in their ministry. And, uh, and it was just, it was amazing. And one of the things, uh, that I realized is, man, I, it's a blessing to be able to like encourage these guys who've been an encouragement to me, uh, for years and years and years since I've started. But the other thing, after talking to lots of different guys and lots of different churches in different places, is it just it made me realize how awesome you guys are. You guys are so cool. Like, I love this church so much. I love you. Thanks for being uh, such a, such a great, gracious, loving, uh, amazing church. I, I, I was afterwards moved. I got to come back and just tell everybody how much I love them. So I love you. Thank you for being awesome. All right, uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks uh, processing through uh, the book of Joshua. We saw uh, at the at the beginning kind of uh, how uh, God had set Joshua apart for the work that he had him to do. Uh, last week we saw how God doesn't only use spiritual giants like Joshua, but was able to use uh, Rahab, the, the prostitute, uh, to to help secure the salvation of uh, of the people and and of her family. And so this week we come to the next step in uh the Israelites taking of the promised land which is the crossing of the Jordan. Uh, there's there's this prayer that I say on a regular basis all the time. Every single morning, every every single morning I'll say it uh on my way to work, I'll say it before I'm writing my sermons, I'll say it before I'm sending emails, I'll say it often uh during staff meetings or board meetings. Uh I say it right before I get up to preach every single week like all the time. I ask God for the same thing uh over and over and over again on a on a regular basis. I ask for God's guidance. Always, uh, as as often as I can, I, I pray that God would lead me. I pray that God would lead this church. I pray that God would always be out in front of us and that we wouldn't be racing ahead of him or wandering off down some path where we shouldn't go, but that we would always have our eyes fixed on him and that we're always following him in everything that we do and everything we say and all aspects of our, of our lives and our, and our ministries. Because, because God's way is right, right? God knows where he's going. God is all wise and all powerful and, and it is that sovereign hand that I want guiding me all the time. His leading is essential in our lives. And I never want to make the mistake of thinking that like I've arrived at some point in my life where I've got this. I can just, I'll take care of it, God. I don't need to go to him for any kind of advice or wisdom or guide. I'll just, and I think too often we'll do that, but I, we're never there. We're never at that point. 
We never don't need him. There will never be a time when I no longer need to follow God's lead. Anytime he's not out in front, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in big trouble. Romans 8.14 says, All those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That, that's what I want. That's who I want to be. I'm going to be led by God. And, and again, the reason why I need to keep praying this prayer on a regular basis is because it is so incredibly easy for us to wander off, right? Is it just me or is it you too? Like it's easy for us to think, okay, I got this one. God's busy. He's got a lot going on up there. I'll handle this one for him. I don't need to go to him for advice. It's easy to run ahead. It's, it's easy for, for me to react to things that happen in my life rather than uh, humbly and, and prayerfully and patiently seek God. It's easy for me to assume what the next steps need to be instead of asking God for clear guidance. And I, and I know and believe with all my heart that when I follow God, God will do great things in my life. I know that. And yet still, there are times where I wander. Still those times where I keep grabbing at the wheel way, way too often. I need to pray this prayer every single day. I think we all need to pray that prayer every day. Because asking for God's guidance, uh, really it's, it's one of the ways in which I admit that I'm not in control. It's one of the ways that I remind myself that I'm not in control and I'm not supposed to be in control. He is. It's, it's this act of submission. It's this act of letting God, okay, God, I'm going to let you be God and I'm not going to try and, and, and do your job. I, I can't. It's, it's realizing and admitting that it's, it's God who is all wise and all knowing and, and not me. But that, that prayer, of humble submission, it's really just the first step. There's some other things that we need to do to make sure that God is out in front of our lives. Really, the whole book of Joshua, like if you, if it had one big, like main theme, it's all about how God leads. I think that's part of the reason why, why Joshua isn't seen, uh, like in, in retrospect as, as one of the great, awesome leaders like Moses. It's almost like Joshua's kind of forgotten. And it's because, I think, because in this book, it's so clear all the way through it that God's the one that's doing it. He's the one that's fighting their battles. He's the one that's winning their wars. He's the one that's out in front. And Joshua, I don't think, has any problem with that. Like I think he's right where he knows he's supposed to be. This whole book is a testimony to God's power and God's goodness and all of the blessings that follow when we're following His lead. And there's even a few stories in, in Joshua about what happens when you don't follow God and, and wander off and do your own thing. Uh, chapter 3 here, all about what it means uh, to have God out in front. And in some like very real, like visible, tangible ways, God's out in front of them. Uh, but then in all of these other uh, uh, kind of symbolic ways, we see God leading his people. 
And, and on our end, for us, this chapter teaches us some things. Like there are some things that they did to get ready to follow God that I think we can do as well on a, on a very practical level. Let me read through, uh, and then we'll see what this book teaches. Joshua chapter 3, let's start in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you've not passed this way before. So what Joshua is saying here simply is follow the ark. Pay attention to the ark. Watch where it goes, and then you follow it. You're not going to go away. You've gone before. Definitely haven't gone this way before because it's right through the middle of the river. But for them, they would have understood clearly that the ark represents the presence of God, right? That is, in a very real sense, in a very dangerous and scary sense, the presence of God. And so anytime we read here about the ark going ahead, they would have understood and we need to understand that that means that God is out there in front leading them. Let's keep reading. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that He will surely dispossess from before you the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Hivite and the Perizzite and the Girgashite and the Amorite and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the, of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one for each tribe, and we'll read next week about what those guys do. 13, it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan the waters of the Jordan will be cut off. And the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zerathan, 
And those which were flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Wow. What an awesome miracle. Intentionally uh, mirroring the, the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. This, this passage here through uh, the waters of the Jordan River was intended to, to show that, that just like God was with Moses when they first left Egypt, God is with Joshua now as they're about to head into the promised land. It was a confirmation of his leadership and his authority. But really more than that, it was a powerful reminder that they have a God who is awesome, who can take care of them, who's going to handle anything they have to deal with. One of the first obstacles that they would have faced as a nation wanting to go in and take over that promised land was this river. It was a natural barrier that would have given the people on the other side this sense of security and protection. There's, there's no bridge. And at flood stage, like it was then, it would have been very difficult for this huge group of people to get across it. But what this miracle shows that even as formidable as this, as this obstacle is, it is absolutely no problem at all for God, right? Not even hard. God has promised them already success. They just need to follow his lead. He's already like, done all the hard work for them. God, here he just stops the flow of water. They can walk right across on dry land. And if he can handle that, if he can do that, is there anything that their God isn't going to be able to accomplish for them? Imagine, imagine being on the other side, right? It says that they walked... Opposite Jericho. There had to mend somebody from Jericho, right? Some spies watching them. There's this big group of people that you know are coming for you. Like there must have been some spies from Jericho watching this. And they've heard all the stories for 40 years about the parting of the Red Sea and how this big group of people has been beaten up on every country they come into contact with. And having heard those stories and maybe not 100% sure, are they even, are they even true? Did, did the the sea really part and all those people walk through on dry land. And then to see it, to see it actually happen, to, to watch as, as the priests carry the ark right into the middle of the river and all of the people walk right across on dry land. That must have been horrifying, right? I mean, at that point, you must have realized, all right, what we're dealing with here is the real deal. Like this is, this is God. There's something more happening here. That must have been horrifying. On the other side, on the Israelite side, this miracle is, again, a strong confirmation of God's power. He really is leading them. He really is clearing the way for them. He really is going to grant them victory. All they got to do is follow Him. There's a couple of things that God asks these people to do so that they can follow well. 
And I think, I think all of us, like everybody here, would probably affirm that our desire, like really our deepest desire, we want to follow God. We want to be like them. We want to have God leading the way. We want Him to clear our path. We want God to fight our battles for us. We want to live our lives under His protective wing every step of the way. But what does that look like? Like, how do you do that? Practically speaking, what does that mean? I mean, we, they had the Ark of the Covenant that went before them. That's how they knew how to follow God, because that's where God sits, right there. But we don't have that, right? The Ark has been locked up in that military facility ever since the end of the Indiana Jones movie. We don't, we don't have that. What do we do? I think we have something better. I think we have the very Holy Spirit of God who's living in us that leads us and that guides us. We have the promises of Jesus Christ Himself who says, I will be with you all the way to the end of the age. We have all of this promise of God that, that He's still there, that He's still leading. There's some things that we could do, just like they did, to follow Him better. There's three things that Joshua asks the people to do in preparation to following God. First, he asked them to consecrate themselves. Look at verse, verse 5 again. Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So if we're serious about having God lead our lives, this is where we need to start. We need to consecrate ourselves. But what does that even mean? That's not a word we use a lot, Right? It's not all that common. Uh, back in this culture, it had, it had like some ritualistic religious practices that went around with, that, that it had to do with like cleaning yourself up and some purification rituals. And, but just, but just like anything, just like, just like our, our baptism isn't just a bath, right? It's, there's some spiritual meaning to it as well. It was the same here. Really, it's a way for the people to cleanse themselves in a way that says we are going to be set apart for God. And, that, and that's really the heart of what consecration is. And one definition that I came across said it, it means making a conscious, willing decision to dedicate your soul, mind, heart, and body to God. It's, it's a way we say, listen, I, God, I am submitting to you. I mean, we do this through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus, you're my Savior, you're my Lord. I'm going to follow and honor and serve and worship you all the days of my life. And then, and then for us, a lot of times, that, that being set apart for Him is made public through baptism. Baptism is a way of letting everybody know, I've decided to follow Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's the one I'm following. I am set apart for Him. I'm identified with Him. In, in the New Testament, uh, often one of the ways in which people focused on following and on seeking the will and the guidance of God was through doing these two things that are often mentioned together, prayer and fasting. Uh, prayer and fasting is what they use to decide who the elders are going to be in the book of Acts. It was through prayer and fasting that they appointed Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries. It's 
It's, it's one of those ways. Again, it's not like fasting is, is something magic. It's just, just one of those tools that, that we as human beings use to make sure that our heart and that our mind and that our body and that all that we are is focused on God. So if we want God to lead our lives, if we want Him to direct our steps, if we want Him out in front, we need to start by consecrating ourselves. And, and for you, figure out what that means. I know that a lot of us have already kind of done that. A lot of us have already made that decision to follow Jesus. We've already been baptized. But on a daily basis, maybe it's just saying that prayer. All right, God, I want you to lead my life. I want you in charge. I want you out in front. I want to be set apart for you and you alone. I don't want to follow anything else, anyone else, any other idea. God, I only want to follow you. Guide me. Joshua says, consecrate yourselves. Why? There's a reason why, right? Because tomorrow, God is going to do wonders among you. Set yourself apart. Focus intently on what God is going to do. Like Keep your, your heart and your mind on Him because He's about to do something awesome. And I don't want you guys to miss it. I don't want you to miss out on it. I don't want you to be wandering away somewhere. I want you to be focused on God because He's going to do something cool. And, and listen, that is still true. That is true for you and in your life today. God is going to do wonders among you. He still does wonders among us on a regular basis. And I don't want you to miss it. And I don't want you to miss out. I, I want you to be consecrated, set apart for Him, focused on Him, thinking about Him so that you can follow where He's leading and see the awesome things that God's going to do among you. Second, second instruction that Joshua gives to the people. Verse 9 says to the sons of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. If God is going to lead your life, then you need to draw near to Him and listen to what He has to say. The will of God, the, the desire of God, the direction of God, the guidance of God, the will of God is found in the Word of God. Right? That, the will of God is found in the Word of God. That'll tweet. Take your phones out right now. Open up Twitter and type in, the will of God is found in the Word of God. I mean, that's, that's true. I think a lot of times we stumble around wondering, how do I know what God wants me to do when we've got a Bible right here where He's saying, I, here, I'll tell you what I need you to do. It's not that complicated a lot of times. If we really, truly, honestly desire to follow God, if we, if we really want His guidance, then we're going to search it out. We're going to listen intently to His voice. We're going to spend time right here in His Word. And I think sometimes we don't, we don't see the Bible as this source of guidance and help for our life today. We see it as like, like a explanation for how you get to heaven, right? That's our ticket to heaven and that's cool. So I'm glad it does that for us. Uh, it's got a lot of history. There's, there's some of that in there. Some, there's some rules. It's a kind of a rule book. 
But because this book is from the very heart and mind of God, it is eternal and it is timeless and it is useful. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you want guidance and direction and, and leading from God, then come here and hear the Word of the Lord. God absolutely guides our lives. And His leading is very clear, often very easily discernible. God's will for your life in many, many areas, in many, many ways, is not a mystery. And God tells us about the wonders that He'll do in our midst. He tells us about what's going to happen, the blessings of obeying and following Him. We just need to draw near and hear it. Okay, so if you want God to lead, if you want to follow Him, if you need His guidance, then it starts by consecrating yourself, setting yourself apart for Him, placing your life in His hands. Second, it's, it comes through drawing close and hearing the Word of the Lord. Leaning in intently and listening to what He has to say. The one last thing that Joshua instructs the people to do. Look at verse 13 shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off. Waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Before God did what He was going to do, these guys had to get their feet wet. They had to take this horrifying step of faith. They had to actually put their feet into a flooded, raging Jordan River. Which I think would have been totally counterintuitive, right? Like there's nothing in you as a human being that would think what we need to do next is walk into the middle of this river. Like that's not something you do on your own. It would have seemed crazy to them. Are you sure? Okay, Joshua, are you sure that you can't just do that thing like Moses did where he like lifted up the staff and the waters parted and we all walked across on dry land? That seems like a, that worked out well before. Let's do it that way this time. No? Are you sure? Okay. <laughs> Cause This time the soles of their feet needed to hit the water. And then, once they had done that, once they take that first frightening step of faith, then the miracle would happen. And they'd done everything they needed to do. They'd consecrated themselves, set themselves apart. They leaned in close and listened to the Word of the Lord. And what that Word was in this case was, listen, I'm with you. I got this. I'm going before you. I'm going to drive out everybody from that land. It's all yours. Now go walk into that raging river. That was what the word of the Lord said to them. Um, okay, God, that seems like a bad idea to us, but we're going to follow you. I think 
often in our lives, the problem isn't that we don't want God to lead. We, we do. We really do. Honest God, we want you to lead. That's not the problem. It's not that we haven't set ourselves apart, consecrated ourselves, made that commitment to Him. That's, that's not it. And our problem isn't that we haven't heard the word of the Lord, right? We, we've heard it, and it sounds nuts. It sounds crazy. It sounds hard. It sounds stretching. It sounds difficult. We know what it is. The problem is this last step. The problem is the actually d- doing it, taking that step of faith and obeying God and doing the thing that He's asking us to do. Because listen, there are times, I guarantee it, there are going to be times in your life where God is going to ask you to do things that are really hard, that are really frightening, and that seem totally counterintuitive, that don't make any sense. You're going to think, no, I'm not going to take a step that direction. That's, That's a mess. I'm going to go this way and run. And maybe what that'll look like in your life is, is a turbulent marriage relationship. And when you look up ahead, it just seems so messy and scary and frightening. It seems like, it feels like the right thing to do is just to turn, run and go the other way and do something else. That'll make me happy. Oh God, we draw near. And here, the word of the Lord, what he says is, submit to your husband and sacrificially love your wife. And and even though that is not going to be easy to do sometimes, if we take that step of faith in faithfulness, God will do wonders among you. Maybe uh, for you, it's this wrestle, this struggle, this with anger that engulfs you way too often. When we're angry, usually it's because of one of two reasons. One, uh, because somebody's not doing what you want them to do, what you think they should do, or somebody has wronged you in some way, or at least you feel like they have. And even though you have all these feelings that want to flare up, with, with arguing and defensiveness and, and anger and frustration. God and His Word calls us to come near and hear it, that we need to be at peace with all men. God's Word says that the, that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Oh, are you sure? <laughs> it feels good. God's Word tells us to be people who are gracious and loving and, and to forgive in the way that God has forgiven us. And I know that that isn't our first instinct a lot of the time. But if people, as people who have been consecrated to God, set apart for Him, and have committed our lives to hear and to obey the Word of God, we'll take that first step of humbling ourselves instead of getting angry. We live in this, in this world where we're constantly all the time bombarded with advertisements that are designed to make us discontent with what we have and, and covetous of what other people have. 
And we're told that it is a virtue to be a lover of money. And that makes sense to us. That seems like a good idea. That God, that money is going to be our, our guiding force, that it's going to protect us and it's going to guard us and it's going to be the thing that leads us. But, but then we draw near and hear the word of the Lord. First Timothy 6 where it says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires with, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. It is counterintuitive and countercultural for us to pursue things like righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. But because we are people of God, people who have, are, are set apart for Him, people who are going to follow Him, we're going we're gonna to listen to His advice instead and we're going to obey His Word instead and we're going to trust His promises instead. Listen, it, it, had to, it had to have been difficult for those priests carrying the ark to take that first step into the water. That had to be tough. Talk about a ton of faith in what God has said He'll do. You had to totally trust Him to do that. And it will be hard to take that step of faith to remain faithful in the midst of a turbulent relationship. And it will be hard to humble yourself instead of getting angry. And it will not be easy to pursue righteousness when the rest of the world seems to be chasing after unrighteousness. The steps of faith that God will require of us will require us to trust Him. We really are going to have to honestly trust that He knows what He's doing. Let me encourage you to not be afraid to take those steps of faith. Whatever they mean in your life, whatever they look like in your situation, don't be afraid to trust God, to trust His Word, to trust that where He is leading you is good. That God has has a plan that's awesome. That God is going to clear the way before you. That God is going to do wonders in your midst. He will. I've seen it. I've seen with my own eyes marriages who, who that were completely torn apart, knit back together. Because estranged husbands and wives trusted God and remained faithful. I have, I have seen the miracle of relationships that can be reunited through a kind word that turns away wrath. I have, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Those first steps into the unknown are never going to be easy. But the more we take them, more, the more we allow God to lead in our lives, the more we, we test and see 
And, and the more God opens the way and shows us that He's there and that He is guiding and that He is leading us, the, the more courage we have to take whatever the next step of faith might be. And as our faith grows and builds, as we see again and again how God shows up and provides and leads and guides, the easier it is to have this life where God is always out in front. Set yourself apart to God. Then draw near and hear the word of the Lord. And then take that step of following Him in obedience wherever He might lead. And then, after you've done all of those things, I want you to give God the praise and the glory and the credit for all of the wonders that He's going to do among you. God, I thank You for Your Word and Thank you for the truth that it contains, that it wasn't just for a long time ago, but it applies to us today. God, our desire is to be set apart for you. We want to belong to you. God, we trust you. We know that you are a good, awesome, powerful, mighty God, that you are a sovereign God, that you are an all-wise God. God, and we admit that we are not sovereign or all-wise or all that good. We need Your help. Thank You, Lord, for how Your Word is full of these promises that if we would just ask, if we would just seek, if we would just follow, God, You would guide and lead us. Thank You for that blessing. Help us to draw near and hear, intently listen to Your Word and Your will and where You want us to go. And then, God, may You give us the courage to take those steps of faith that You want us to take. Help us to obey. Not just hear it, but to obey it. And then, God, may You get all the glory for the wonders that You do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.